collectors, and welcome to the Eclectic Collection podcast. Episode 46 today, visual music. 41 years ago, on August 1st, 1981, shortly after midnight, a new fantastic era was born. Sadly, that era has come and gone, and I wish it stayed because, well, I'm still mentally living there. I have not really left high school. Um, I argue about that with my friends all the time. However, that night, that fateful night, I happened to be watching television, and cable was a thing, and luckily we had it, but cable boxes were this obnoxiously large rectangular brown box that had an A, B, and C span little toggle and it went from channels 1 to 12 and then the next B started at 13 and that was kind of sort of like all the cool channels and then C channels were like extra channels that had things like National Geographic and whatnot not to the level that we did today but I remember just pushing all the buttons and being annoyed that there weren't as many choices as I thought way more choices than there were growing up where I was in fact the remote control and there was UHF VHF maybe five channels and I had to get up and click click in this gigantic piece of furniture that somehow housed the television that was heavier than picking up I don't know Atlas himself but now that it was a little tail it was a remote but not like you think remotes today and it had a little tail that was plugged into the cable box so I had always cruised up and down channels 1 through 12 in the A span, but on the B span, I thought, oh, let me see what this has to offer. And as I was flick, flick, push, push, flick, flick, push, the first one was channel 13. So it was the B1 spot, if you will. And I happened to be at the right place, right time. And at first it was just snow, just uh, white noise and nothing. And I happened to be right place, right time. And all of a sudden I see this very cool image of the moon and an astronaut jumping off of a uh, spaceship and he's dressed like an American astronaut. He's got this real shiny outfit on and he's holding a flag and upon closer look, the flag gets staked into the moon and it says MTV underneath in smaller letters block music television. And it was all different neon and crazy colors. And I heard their awesome beginning crazy song that was the, uh, instrumental that everybody knows and and I'm like what is this because it was new and after a minute or so of that next thing I know the buggles video killed the radio star which I love and was a very cool way to begin the channel since obviously video was going to start and little do we know take over I was intrigued and although it's kind of a plain video that didn't have much to go on at the time and I was glued to the TV for hours and watched MTV as if it were a normal channel all the time. We would call it binge watching now. At that point, we were just constantly watching television. But it totally changed my life. I was at the perfect sweet spot age for that because I was about seven when that happened. So I just grew up with it. It was completely something that fascinated me. I loved music anyway, and I was perfectly fine listening to music. And I had a good cross-section of having the Walkman in my ears, listening to it in any car that I was in with the good old-fashioned press-button uh, lame stereos that didn't have the, the regular suave tuning we have now. And then I was fortunate because my uh, brother worked at Sam Goody's, and they had an audio deck that he was a salesman as a part of. So he had this great Technique stereo, which I still have from 1978, 
and good uh, quality clip speakers that uh, just were awesome. And, and I grew up with vinyl and uh, do remember them having a Bobcat. I feel like the Bobcat had an eight track, uh, but I never really had to deal with eight tracks too much because he already had actual audio tapes and of course vinyl. So I was around this great cross section of music all the time. And my brother was a musician and my sister was a musician. So I, I was around real music, if you will. And I was around all sorts of media for the music. So listening to the radio never even, you know, I didn't even blink to do it. It was all the time. And then it got more portable and you got the Walkman and the boom boxes eventually leading to a compact disc, but I'm way, way ahead of myself. I always had music on or near me or, you know, around me at some point. So this was just another media. And for me, it wasn't a competition. It was just awesomeness, but I was glued. And I just remember thinking, what is this? And it was truly a pioneered situation of something that would start an era. And eventually I remember seeing all the original VJs, Mark Goodman, and I think Martha Quinn, probably everybody's favorite, certainly was mine. Um, Alan Hunter, JJ Jackson, and Nina Blackwood. At the time they kind of started everything. And it's just uh, amazing how it expanded and you started to get programs and then there were shows and it was the beginning of bands getting seen, um, people that you may have heard of before kind of reinventing themselves and people who really captured it, I would say, without a doubt, despite Madonna and Michael Jackson being king of pop and, you know, uh, queen of pop, literally an iconic and totally Madonna hats off to her reinventing herself multiple times throughout the years and using that media to do it. They were good at it and they had great production teams. But you really can't talk about MTV without talking about Duran Duran. Duran Duran was probably the first band to like, embrace, utilize well, and build not just an audience that people like their music anyway, but build everything around their brand, if you will, visually. If, if they had started now, they would be good at social media and they would probably have Instagram stuff like crazy. It was their production value and these little stories. It was almost um, James Bond-like, which later on they would actually do the song of You to a Kill and they actually did a James Bond video. Um, so they just had this great backstory and, and, and again, high production value. And they would go on these exotic locations and, you know, they filmed Hungry Like the Wolf and New Moon on Monday and Reflex and, you know, so many of these songs, but they became even bigger because people wanted to see the videos and they were in heavy rotation. And in the beginning, there was a lot of just footage of bands playing in a, uh, recorded situation or in a concert, which there's nothing wrong with that either. Some bands preferred that, but that's all they really had to choose from to start with and then eventually they went on different bands like I said embraced the media and and got very creative I mean you can't think about people like Peter Gabriel with the movie uh the movie the video Sledgehammer very um very different very alternative Tom Petty was fantastic at videos I love Don't Come Around Here No More with the Alice in Wonderland theme uh You're Jamming Me where he's picking stuff out it looks like he's taking white noise out of the TV and throwing it at people. By the way, they use mashed potatoes in that scene, but you know you wouldn't know it. Um, Herbie Hancock's Rocket. It's a completely instrumental song, and yet it charts because it's on MTV, and there's all this crazy mechanical stuff. Um, Axel F, big, big hit. Uh, granted, they had the backing of Eddie Murphy because of the movie, 
so they could interweave clips of him. And that was the first time you really saw that um, crossover of media. And there were just, there's so many different ones that really hit the nail on the head. I always think of an interview I saw with the Eagles where um, Don Henley's talking about how he was starting his solo career because the Eagles were big in the 70s. So they sort of fell apart in early 80 and they all went their separate ways. Well, obviously Glenn Fry and Don Henley had massive careers on their own, but they really both went the media way. And I would argue that Don Henley even went more so in the media. Um, and he said, I'm not a dancer. I'm a quiet guy, but he, all she wants to do is dance as much as he hated the video. He loved what MTV did for him because it really sold his albums. Uh, Glenn Fry did you belong in the city and it did the same for him so much. So he ended up on a Miami vice episode. So a lot of people that were established bands got either reestablished or like Peter Gabriel had left Genesis and now he was on his own. Tina Turner was looking for uh, comeback to get away from the Ike and Tina Turner review. So just so many uh, different bands that uh, either relaunched or started a career or just worked with it from the beginning. And uh, some of them were rather disturbing, but for the most part, they were really cool uh, videos. And it was just, it was creativity meeting on all levels. I can't say enough good about it. And you could just sit and watch literally MTV. It was in fact music television. So you had anywhere from like a three to five minute spot and sometimes they told a little story or there was a rock opera or there was a beginning piece and then it would go into the song and there might be a little post bit. In the bottom left corner, it always told you the name of the artist and the records label that it was on and when it was produced. And I honestly think that that's where I got a lot of my information from and my ability to remember things as well as I do because I would always read that info and for a while I would even memorize what uh, you know, label, was it Geffen Records or was it Chrysalis or what was going on? And uh, I, I would be very aware of the year and what album. I, I just liked it, all of it, and I couldn't get enough of it. Plus, there was album art, too. I mean, yeah, you see stuff on a CD case, but now you don't always see CDs too much. Albums sort of making uh, a comeback. You see vinyl now, but it was such a uh, cool thing to see the art and, and even the lyrics. I liked reading the lyrics and, and going along with the lyrics inside uh, the jacket and the sleeve and you don't really see that so much anymore but um, 33 and a third and 45 meant something to me and a lot of people were like huh so it was uh, cool for me because it was a fusion of what was consistent not necessarily old I guess now it's old but what was consistent at the time and now this new thing and they were being brought together and just pieces of MTV that I loved um, eventually they would give way to just hours and hours of music, and I would sit and watch that. And it, it later on, they would have the after-school TRL, which I never really, by that point, I can't say I got into that too much, but that's where they started having what was cool and happening, and it was the equivalent of, like, dancing on air uh, back in the day. Um, I remember late at night, there was a Headbangers Ball um, Saturday nights, and Ricky Rackman appears on the scene, and you start seeing um, different... Uh, uh, metal bands uh, coming into play and you would see the, the evolution of the genre start to appear because at first it was just whoever they could get, you know, whatever band could be put on there and whatever coverage that they had because it was uh, picking slim at that time and then they would start having these bands that really took to it so then they would play them in heavy rotation and I vividly remember seeing the Headbangers Ball with Kurt Cobain and, you know, truth be told, I love Pearl Jam but I'm not a big grunge fan in general so for me Pearl Jam was the entrance way into uh, grunge, although I, I have no problem with Soundgarden, and there's definitely some other bands in there that, that I like and respect, 
However, I just remember thinking, uh, what is going on with Kurt Cobain? Because although I love Smells Like Teen Spirit, and there's a few other songs I will, I'll say tolerate because it's not my cup of tea, I do think that there was a lot of anthematic quality about Smells Like Teen Spirit. However, prior to that really hitting and, and being a thing when he was promoting it, I remember this big like scene and there was this whole set where all the band comes walking in and Ricky Rackman's got like, you know, leather jacket and the big hair and it's very, very uh, Ronnie Dio and like D. Snyder, Twisted Sister kind of look and all that, that heavy metal look to it that, that you got out of like Ozzy and Judas Priest and all these hardcore bands. And here comes Kurt Cobain in a yellow, very odd ball gown. And he's straight-faced, and he thinks he's doing a good thing. And Ricky Rackman's like, what are you dressed in? And he's like, oh, well, it's the Headbangers Ball. So wouldn't you wear a ball gown to a ball? And he, he was just so weird. And I remember thinking, oh, bad things are coming because it was such a difference and such a departure from 81 till that point when you start to see uh, the grunge appear. But that's like one of the specific episodes that I do remember um, that was later on in Headbangers Ball. Another thing that uh, came out of that was um, – MTV World Premieres. Used to love World Premieres. Uh, usually on a Thursday night, typically on a Saturday, they'd run them three or four times a day. But 7 or 8 o'clock on a Thursday night, depending on what it was, you would get the preview, if you will, and then it would happen again on Friday and happen again on Saturday. And I vividly remember uh, sitting in my basement watching the World Premiere of Thriller. And that was quite the moment because it was like eight and a half minutes and you had the whole story and there was like talking bits to it and like a little movie, you know, and how they showed you the making of and uh, how you could actually transform uh, Michael into the wolf. And then, you know, what happens? Spoiler alert, he turns into a wolf. Um, and then the song itself and the extended version. And it was really cool. Um, everybody just got on their corded phone that presumably had a, um, a, a, uh, a very long cord and an obnoxious color. And talk to everybody. Go, oh, you're watching. You're watching. I'm watching now. Can you believe it? No, no. Stayed on the phone while we were doing that. And back then, they may have actually had rotary dials. We had both. Just saying. We even have a bicentennial phone. But we'll talk about that another time. Um, in addition to world premieres, I remember they were always announced by Kurt Loder. Kurt Loder was the initial MTV Music News guy. Um, Chris Connolly, kind of the backup guy. Not gonna lie, Chris Connolly was never my favorite. Kurt Loder was the bomb. Still in the game. Um, Again, kind of grew up with him, did news, always came out with whatever was happening. And back then, the news was a lot happier, and it was very focused on all of the artists and what they were doing. And it was really just focused on the music and what they were going to go into the studio with or what their single was and uh, what kind of play it got and was something going platinum or whatnot. Um, then you started to see other VJs come along, like Dweezil Zappa, Frank's son, uh, comes around Moon Zappa for a little while. Downtown Julie Brown loved her accent. Um, you start expanding the shows, and then you start to get other programs like your MTV Raps uh, with Ed Lover, and then you get um, Postmodern MTV and uh, 120 Minutes. I can remember thinking like new wave and alternative music. I remember an interview with Michael Stipe from REM that they did and they would just really kind of push all that was coming around the alternative bend because that was new and you know new wave kind of begat itself you had all this rock and then you had the classic rock genre sort of forming and then you started with uh you know rap existed but it didn't really do that massive crossover which thank god for mtv because aerosmith meets up in 1986 with walk this way and run dmc neither band 
really knew the other. And it was probably one of the most phenomenal integrations that paved the way to uh, not just rap artists in general, but people of all backgrounds liking both types of music and then expanding it. Because from that, you know, you get party and you get house and you get rock and you get rap and you get alternative and new wave. And we already had the beginnings of, of rock and punk. And, um, you know, you would see all these different uh, genres just exploding onto the scene. And uh, then they started their hand in actual shows that weren't necessarily music-based. One of my favorite, Remote Control with Ken Ober. Um, I watch that all the time. He had that funny backup comedian guy, Colin Quinn, who I don't know what happened to him. I, I should really look that up because he was hilarious. And they were sitting on a couch and had the remote control. And it was you know music uh, trivia and it was sort of the, uh, the Merlin, if you were... Uh, uh, like me back in the day and had a Merlin and a Simon and a, and a Quizzo. And, um, you know, at the time, Trivial Pursuit was huge in the 80s. So this was basically like a watered-down version of Trivial Pursuit, but live on the air, and uh, people would be asked music questions and different uh, pop culture questions. He was funny. It was funny. They usually did two half-hour shows back-to-back. They played it nightly. And I just want to argue, I always say this because this is something I thought, and again, if you thought this too, then we share this, but Colin Quinn, hilarious, funny man, not related to Martha Quinn that I'm aware of, uh, nor married to Martha Quinn that I'm aware of, but Colin Quinn looked a lot like the lead singer from Men at Work, who was also named Colin, except that was Colin Hay, and this was Colin Quinn. And, you know, back then, it wasn't uh, something you could Google. So when people started Urban Legends, sort of like uh, Mikey, the guy who said, oh, he likes it, when he was eating his uh, life cereal, there was that bad rumor going around in the 80s that he uh, drank too much soda after eating Pop Rocks and he exploded. Yeah, that's that's not true. He's alive. He's alive today. But uh, you didn't know. You know, so when you heard things like that, it was called a rumor and it was kind of perpetuated on purpose, but just because that's what we thought was really going on. And who's going to read a paper? But now you have a conversation with people and they're whipping out their phone to like fact check you. Uh, seriously? Just, no. Relax. Frankie says, relax. Also a great video. Anyhow, so these were just other pieces to the whole uh, machine that got known as uh, MTV. And as time went on, I believe there's now an MTV 2, um, but there's so many more programs on it than there is music. And then eventually it gave way to VH1, which would become a secondary music channel, came around way later. But the neat thing about VH1 is that for its time, it was almost the, um, it was, it was the VH1 was almost the um, people that, like myself, grew up with MTV. It was like that kind of programming that it would hearken back to that. So a lot of we faithful MTV People were watching VH1, and sometimes the bands that had come and gone, because let's face it, there were a lot of one-hit wonders in the 80s. Some of those bands had broken up, they disbanded, and they would do this great Where Are They Now segment, or they would have this um, a part where uh, they would explain, kind of like breaking of the band on reels now, same concept, where it would be behind the music. And that was fantastic, because if they weren't together anymore, they would at least get whomever would speak uh, with the hosts about the band and what happened to its demise. And sometimes you could even get the band back together or they might do a concert or one show. Um, another great MTV uh, spinoff was MTV Unplugged. Um, I can remember watching um, the live version of Layla. 
and thinking, wow, you know, Eric Clapton's Layla's phenomenal song. But just the unplugged redo of that was was phenomenal. And I believe in uh, 98, it went on like a greatest hits and uh, won an award. So it was um, just a nice revisitation of, of previous music. So you saw that a lot. And that was an intimate setting where you got to have questions and the audience could talk to the artist at the time. And anytime there was MTV Unplugged, I like to watch that. So, I mean, there's countless shows and things that happened. But eventually, once we got into the TRL kind of way where it was starting to get a little more show and a little less music, um, like I said, you had the VH1 spinoff, which was helpful for a while. And it's sort of like hearing the music you grew up with, and then suddenly it's on the oldie station. That's the best analogy that I have. And then they had uh, MTV2 come along. And for a while, even MTV2, I think to help it take off, you could actually dial in numbers. They had 900 numbers back then, and you could say what you wanted to hear, and it was almost like a quasi-radio situation. You know, and I go back to Queen in my head, Radio Gaga, because that was way before MTV, obviously. But that was sort of the nod to something's coming uh, that's going to potentially replace you. Who knew? They were ahead of their time. And then uh, Video Killed the Radio Star, straight up said by the Buggles. But um, Martha Quinn, I believe, is back on late night MTV um, or different channels talking about uh, things like I want my MTV. And MTV became a verb in that sense. I mean, you had Mark Knopfler write I want my MTV into Money for Nothing, also a great video. Um you know, you had the, the whole iconic uh, moon landing situation. Uh, and of course, they had the MTV Music Awards, which are still a thing today and quite a big deal. Lately, I've seen Alan Hunter doing Generac commercials. So I don't know what that's about, but <laughs> um, I, I, I heard the voice. I had it on in the background and I'm thinking it was like late night and I was like, oh, some infomercial. And I was like, I know that guy. And I turn around, it's Alan Hunter. Who knew? Um, so you don't always see them. I, I couldn't tell you what happened to some of them, but uh, uh, some have gone on to continue announcing and, and whatnot. Uh, fun fact, Jefferson Starship, which would give way to become, well, excuse me, Jefferson Airplane is what started out and would give way to Jefferson Starship. And eventually in the 80s, they just adopted the name Starship. A uh, little fun fact, when I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I watched this incredibly long and very well worth it, and I was upset that I missed the first two hours, but I watched two hours and it was a four hour special about MTV and its inception. I had gone a couple years ago and it was another anniversary. And uh, it talked about how when Starship did uh, We Built This City, which was a great song, that the beginning, um, there's uh, the man who is the voice of the very beginning of, you know, Let's Rock and Roll on MTV, uh, one of the execs in MTV, and he does the radio voice in the piece of We Built This City where he's like, it's the city that rocks, it's the city that never stops. And he's you know referencing uh, uh, San Francisco and LA and like out, out west, but it was pretty neat. He was supposed to be the radio announcer. And they didn't have somebody to do that part for the video, so he just stood in. And I thought that was uh, a very fun fact. So uh, just really shaping an error. If you're from Gen X, then you, know, you can't say enough good about MTV. If I would say that if you came along after it, some people would be like, what's the big deal? Um, it really paved the way for a lot of, of what we have now. Um, convenience is great, but sometimes there's something to be said for being able to hold on and wait for something 
um, instant gratification can go sideways sometimes. So it's great that you can have music immediately. And if you think about the Napster crisis later on, that you could get music, it, it's good and bad. I mean, it's good because you can pick up new info and new bands and hear new tunes immediately. But on the other side, it is taking away from the artist. So uh, I'm torn on that. Um, it's also people buying music is kind of a uh, almost a thing of the past. People go and they download stuff or they'll, uh, I would go buy an album, you know. And, and I, to me, a musician was only as strong as his album was. So if I bought an album, I wanted to be able to listen to the whole album, not just a song or two. And I feel like I was in that trend and there haven't been a whole lot of artists where the entire album is necessarily as good as the main track or the hook that, that got you to buy it in the first place, if you bought it at all. So these are just uh, musical thoughts that have come along <laughs> since then. But you can't take away from August 1st. 1981 and that awesome little scene and music television so uh long live rock and roll i hope it's around forever i don't think mtv will go anywhere anytime soon if anything it'll probably just expand and reinvent itself as it helped so many people in their careers get reinvented but all i can say in the meantime is that uh video killed the radio star but i still like both so listen to your radio don't just listen to your phone and watch MTV, and watch VH1, and look for those specials. Because unfortunately, as the artists that are passing, it's so sad. I mean, we lost Meatloaf not that long ago. We lost Eddie Van Halen not that long ago. And uh, they're just iconic people that will never be replaceable. So it's an end of an era for their info. Glenn Fry passed away. His son Deke is filling in for him, and uh, Wolfie's filling in for Eddie. But um, it, that doesn't always happen, you know, so... Uh, appreciate what is there and, and maybe go look at it. If you have never heard of it or looked it up or knew what it was, go check out. I'm sure on YouTube there's some original clips and things. And uh, go watch it. Maybe you'll find a program that you like and find an artist that's new to you. If you liked what you heard, then check us out at eclecticcollectionpodcast.com or listen to us on your preferred platform. I'm Terrence Aglia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>